welcome back to Read This Next with Ruth and Nicole. We are once again in the same room, so hopefully we don't have audio issues. Um, but yeah, this week we're doing um, kind of two episodes within one. We're doing Don't Make Me Weed This, uh, specifically adult fiction, because we had a shorter amount that we weren't able to, didn't want to part with yet. Um, and then we're just going to go over a couple of books that we've recently read that didn't fit into our categories that we've just filmed and um one that is next on my to be read list which i'm excited Exciting. about mm -hmm. uh so yeah i guess let's uh let's jump into it do you want to start sure i'll roll in with terminal alliance uh book one of the janitors of the post-apocalypse series <laughs> by jim c hines i'm like whoo some reason that seemed like a tongue twister for me today mm -hmm. When the Krakow came to Earth, they planned to invite humanity into a growing alliance of sentient species. This would have worked out better for all involved if they hadn't arrived after a mutated plague wiped out half the planet, turned the rest into shambling, near-unstoppable animals, and basically destroyed human civilization. You know, your standard apocalypse. Not ideal. I don't know if it's standard, though. Like, I feel you'd be more than a shambling, near-unstoppable... Like, I want to be more than a shambling, near-unstoppable animal in my... Uh, post-apocalypse. True. Just a very typical zombie apocalypse. True. Fair. Uh, the Krakow's first impulse was to turn their ships around and go home. <laughs> After all, it's hard to establish diplomatic relations with mindless savages who eat your diplomats. Awkward. Fair enough. Their second impulse was try to fix us. A century later, human beings might not be what they once were, but at least they're no longer trying to eat everyone. <laughs> Mostly. Marion Mops Adamopoulos is, uh, is surprisingly bright for a human. Mm -hmm. As a lieutenant on the Earth Mercenary Corps ship Pufferfish, she is in charge of the shipboard hygiene and sanitation team. When a bioweapon attack by an alien race wipes out the Krakow command crew and reverts the rest of the humans to their feral state, only Mops and her team are left with their minds intact. Mm. Escaping the attacking aliens, not to mention her shambling crewmates, is only the beginning. Sure, Mops and her assortment of space janitors and plumbers can clean the ship, but flying the damn thing is another matter. As they struggle to keep the pufferfish functioning and find a cure for their crew, they stumble onto a conspiracy that could threaten the entire Alliance. A conspiracy born from the truth of what happened on Earth all those years ago. Ooh. Bum, bum, bum. That sounds really good. It does. Like I think uh, it's moving up the list. Yeah. That's like funny sci-fi. Yeah, I'm digging it. It feels... um. Very similar to, what's that series by Douglas Adams? Hitchhiker's, Hitchhiker's? In a, like, it's silly. That's, yes. Yeah. Sounds good. You know, and I love that she's, like, on the cover holding her mop. Yeah. Looks like she's, I don't even know what she's standing on. At first I was like, it looks like space junk, but it's got an engine, so. It almost looks like an, like an asteroid with an engine attack. Maybe. Stay tuned. Stay Read tuned. the book. Find out. Let us know. Uh, this next one, yeah, the all these books are very different vibes. This next one is Mischling by Affinity Connor. Connor, maybe? Pearl is in charge of the sad, the good, the past. Stasha must care for the funny, the future, the bad. Hmm. It's 1944 when the twin sisters arrive at Auschwitz with their mother and grandfather. In their benighted new world, Pearl and Stasha's are... Uh, Zagorski take refuge in their identical natures, comforting themselves in the private language they've shared and shared games of their childhood. As part of the experimental population of twins known as 
uh, Mengele's Zoo, maybe? Uh, the girls experience privileges and horrors unknown to others, and they find themselves changed, stripped of the personalities they once shared, their identities altered by the burdens of guilt and pain. That winter, at a concert orchestrated by Mengele, Pearl disappears. Stasha grieves for her twin, but clings to the possibility that Pearl remains alive. When the camp is liberated by the Red Army, she and her companion, Felix, a boy bent on vengeance for his own lost twin, travel through Poland's devastation, undeterred by injury, starvation, or the chaos around them, motivated by equal parts, danger, and hope. They encounter hostile villagers, Jewish resistance fighters, and fellow refugees. Their quest, enabled by the notion that Mengele may, may be captured and brought to justice within the ruins of the Warsaw Zoo. As the young survivors discover what, is be what has become of the world, they must try to imagine a future with in it that's intense mm -hmm. very cool premise and i think that'll be i think that's probably a, a part a, um, a holocaust story that you don't typically hear from is the yes. twin studies that they did yeah seems like a heavy one very heavy especially compared to our first yes. suggestion but it's interesting to this note that it defies every expectation traversing one of the darkest moments in human history to show us the way toward ethereal beauty moral reckoning and soaring hope wow hmm. so dark but perhaps with some light within it yeah yeah it sounds very it sounds like a well-written book just solely based off the description of it sounds good I've read the next book. Oh, you have? The Suicide Motor Club by Christopher Buhlman. Okay. I was trying to remember its title not that long ago. Oh, there you go. You're it, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> it is. It is something. It, it is something. I'll, I'll share, obviously, this. Um, so this author also wrote The Lesser Dead and returned with this chilling and thrilling tale of dark evil lurking on the lonely open road. Bram Stoker, quoting the Battle of the Lore, said, the dead travel fast. Mm. Those words have never rung more true. Remember that car that passed you near midnight on Route 66, doing 105 with its lights off? You wondered where it was going so quickly on that dark, dusty stretch of road, motor roaring, the driver glancing out the window as he blew by. Did his greedy eyes shine silver like a coyote's? Did he make you feel like prey? <laughs> you can't remember now. You just saw the founder of the Suicide Motor Club, be grateful his brake lights never flashed. Be grateful his car was already full. They roam America littering the highways with smashed cars and bled out bodies, a gruesome reflection of the unsettled 60s. But to anyone unlucky enough to meet them in the lonely hours of the night, they're just a blurry memory. That is, to all but one. Two years ago, they left a witness in the mangled wreck of her family car, her husband dead, her son taken. She remembers their awful faces, despite their tricks and glamours. And she's coming for them. Her thirst for vengeance even more powerful than their hunger for blood. On the deserted highways of America, the hunters are about to come hunt. Whoa. Whoa. And there is a supernatural element. Well, this. it sounds like it. it Those silver sense. eyes. Yeah. It sounds like they're they're thirsty for human blood. Mm hmm Yeah, it's um it is definitely like uh one of those sort of like gut wrenching at times really eh? stories because there's they also have um 
I'm, I'm hoping I'm remembering this correctly because I read this back when I still worked at Brody. So it's, okay. been, it's been a few years. Mm -hmm. um, but there are, they have like a, a human who's there to assist with daylight activities. I see. Okay. We're getting more and more clear about what yes. the supernatural I mean, I think is. They, I think it's well Oh, wait, it says Bram Stoker, Stoker. I forgot. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's a, it was, it was a lot. Yeah, eh? Yeah, you, it's not a Nicole book. Stay oh, away. Oh, I won't read it then. Stay away. Pass it to someone else. Avoid it. But it's really, it's really well written and it really draws you in. Cool. And there's like images I can still remember from it, even wow. though I probably read it, you know, at minimum eight years ago. Okay. Hmm. Well, I hey, that sounds like a book that'll stick with you, actually. And I just realized we didn't really explain, well, I didn't explain what a weed wed weeded book is oh, so yes. the title of these the first four books that we're doing are what we are affectionately calling don't make me weed this books um so at the library uh we are obviously we have limited space in our buildings we are not a tardis no finite space yeah we can't we just can't keep every book that comes in and sometimes our books don't go out for years and at that point we make the executive decision that they wouldn't have a better home so we might send them to um local businesses or local like, like the prison will take them we send some to the library our um, friend's bookstore our friend's bookstore is a really big one um if they're in good condition we'll do that and um but yeah so these are books that are on the chopping block essentially someone hasn't checked them out in quite some time but um they are good and great books um so we hope that you give them a chance before they are removed from our shelves. Visceral was the word I was thinking about for that book. Oh, it is visceral. That makes sense. Yeah. This next book um, looks a little potentially. It looks lighter, but now I'm thinking it's not. So, uh, <laughs> so we'll find out. We'll find out. This is called Bones and All by Camille DeAngelis. Marin Yearly is a young woman who wants the same things we all do. She wants to be someone people admire and respect. She wants to be loved. But in her secret, shameful, but her secret, shameful needs have forced her into exile. She hates herself for the bad things she does and for what it's done to her family and her sense of identity. For how it dictates her place in the world and how people choose to see her, how they judge her. She didn't choose to be this way. Because Mary nearly doesn't just break hearts, she devours them. Ever since her mother found Penny Wilson's eardrum. Okay, visceral for this book too. Gross, yeah. In her mouth, when Marin was just two years old, she knew life would never be normal for either of them. Love may come in many shapes and sizes, but for Marin, it always ends the same with her hiding the evidence and her mother packing up the car. Ooh. But when her mother abandons her the day after her 16th birthday, Marin goes looking for the father she has never known and finds much more than she bargained for along the way. Faced with a fellow, uh, a world of fellow eaters, potential enemies, and the prospect of love, Marin realizes she isn't only looking for her, for her father, but she's also looking for herself. That is awful. And I don't think I'm reading this one. I mean, no. I think it's really interesting, and if you like horror, though, this would be a great one to read. Yes. The, the bottom says, um, 
coming-of-age tale, gorgeously written horror, and a mesmerizing meditation on female power and sexuality. So, so really, for those of our viewers who love horror, mm -hmm. um, horror books just like every other need, people take them out. I usually go more into the psychological horror mm -hmm. um, than the, the gore. Yeah. Um, but what's awesome is there's something for everyone. Yeah. And actually, one of my very old friends is a horror author. Yeah, cool. Mm -hmm. yeah, I love that. It's it's quite exciting. She's had a book come out, so I'm kind of pumped for her. That's awesome. All right, so this is now we're switching we're switching gears. Yeah, into what we've been reading lately slash one that is literally next on my shelf that I'm excited to talk about. So awesome. Ruth's gonna kick us off with what she's recently read. So one of my more recent ones that my sister recommended to me is How to Keep House While Drowning, A Gentle Approach to Cleaning and Organizing by Casey Davis. Mm -hmm. How to Keep House While Drowning will introduce you to six life-changing principles that will revolutionize the way you approach home care. So not chores. Mm -hmm. I really like this language of it's caring for your home mm -hmm. and an extension that is obviously caring for yourself without endless to-do lists. Presented in 31 Daily Thoughts, this compassionate guide will help you begin to get free of the shame and anxiety you feel over home care. Inside you will learn how to shift your perspective of care tasks from moral to functional, so basically not clean house good, messy mm -hmm. house bad. Yeah. Uh, how to stop negative self-talk and shame around care tasks. How to give yourself permission to rest, even when things aren't finished. And how to motiv motivate yourself to care for your space. And one of the things that really resonated for me in this book is she talks about how um, she and her spouse each take a turn with who gets to sleep in oh, on a weekend morning. Nice. So I think Saturday is her morning off and Sunday is his morning off or vice versa. Yeah. And what she does is she's in church one of her responsibilities usually is like cleaning up the kitchen mm -hmm. so she always resets the kitchen yeah to make it nice for him in the morning and then she realized why am i not doing that for myself as well like why do i care more yeah for him. so putting that caring for herself but also she has a hard deadline i think it was like 7 30 p.m after 7 30 p.m it's time to relax wow and if it means that you didn't finish unloading the dishwasher and you're just gonna throw a few more dirty things in and rerun it whatever you're in better shape for tomorrow than if you just left it. Yeah. And in better mental shape for taking yeah. that break. There's a lot of interesting, I've read of like when you're trying to learn, and people say they're hacks, but really they're just like, if you decide that the rules are not really rules, like why do you have to eat a sandwich? You can eat all the pieces of a sandwich mm. and it's still eating. And I, I, I know Casey Davis, or yeah, Casey Davis, she has um, a TikTok account that I follow where she talks about uh, the morality yeah. of, of cleaning. Um, and I really liked how she says that your spaces should work for you. Um, she talked about how she turned her living room, I think in for her dining room into like a play space for her mm -hmm. kids. And um, seeing, seeing those rules about what your various rooms in your houses have to be is super liberating because you're like, why do I have to have a dining room that is not functioning? And meeting my needs and she also had um very theme about her family closet because that one really resonated with oh me. yeah she has all of her stuff in um in the laundry room yeah all and everybody's yeah. so everybody can go and get dressed together i love that i That's mean if fantastic. i had a nicer laundry room i might consider it yeah my laundry room not where i want to get dressed yeah i think she said and uh she just got a new house Ooh. and she has like this big 
um, industrial laundry bin that she's got like kitted up with a whole bunch of like a garbage can, a bin for toys. And oh, nice. she just rolls around the house now and yeah. has it all in there. Yeah, she's she's really awesome. I really, uh, I really like her. It's content. a great book and it's an easy read too. Mm -hmm. Like it's not it's not preachy. It's yeah. you do what works for you. Here are some things that work for me. Yeah. Yeah. So. She's, she's really, really great. Um, okay. Different note. This <laughs> is a YA fantasy that I read on cloud library. Uh, this is called song of silver flame, like night by Emily Wen Zhao. Uh, she wrote the blood air series trilogy, I think, um, which I didn't read, but this is a, book based on Chinese folklore and mythology, which is my jam. Awesome. I love when people base fantasy off of pre-existing folklore. I love that mythology. with like African, like Nigerian and yeah. all that. Because really... it's already so fleshed out. They don't yeah. have to do the work and put in the time that um, like Tolkien spent forever developing that world. Tree. Yeah, like that's too much. Um, anyways, so this is Okay, once Lan had a different name. Now she goes by the one the Atlantean colonizers gave her when they invaded her kingdom, killed her mother, and outlawed her people's magic. She spends her night as a song girl in Hak Gong, a city transformed by the conquerors, and her days scavenging for what she can find of the past. Anything to understand the strange mark burned into her arm by her mother in her last act before she died. The mark is mysterious, an untranslatable, an untranslatable hidden character, and no one but Lan can see it until the night a boy appears in her tea house and saves her life. His name is Zen. Zen is a practitioner, one of the fabled magicians of the Last Kingdom. Their magic was rumored to be uh, to have been drawn from the demons they communed with, magic believed to be now long lost. Now it must be hidden from the Atlanteans at all cost. costs. When Zen comes across Lan, he recognizes what she is, a practitioner with a powerful ability hidden in the mark of her arm. He's never seen anything like it, but he knows that if there are answers, they lie deep in the pine forests and misty mountains of the Last Kingdom, with an order of practicing masters planning to overthrow the Atlantean regime. Both Lan and Zen have secrets buried deep within, secrets they must hide from each other, and secrets that they themselves have yet to discover. Fate has connected them, but their destiny remains unwritten. Both hold the power to liberate their land, and both hold the power to destroy the world. It is so well written. It sounds amazing. It was really, really good. Like they, the two characters, they have, like they're the most of the most of the book takes place of. Well, you know what? That's not true. It was just a really well paced book. Like there was the. The, she's at the tea house working they're they've escaped and they're traveling to this new magic place they're in the magic place they leave magic place drama excitement it was just really well done yeah. i really enjoyed and it and good pacing makes such a difference you can have mm -hmm. a really great story and idea like i'm reading a book right now author i really enjoy um premise is interesting I'm only still reading it because a friend wants to talk about it. Okay. No, I'm, but I mean, I'm halfway through. So I only made it to like page 150 because mm -hmm. they want to have a conversation about the book. And yeah, like now it's getting interesting, but it mm -hmm. shouldn't take 150 pages for me to really start caring. Yeah. 
yeah, that's a really, yeah, my sister finds all books very hard to get into. Okay. So when she, this was like forever ago, she's much better at it now. She trusts the process a bit more. But when she first started reading, I was like, try Twilight. And she's like, I read the first two chapters, so boring. And I guess this is probably what Casey Davis would say is just skip the first few chapters. Just yeah. start the book and get into it. And then she loved it. But this book, right from the beginning, I was like, yeah, what's happening? Awesome. Super good. Good pacing. Mm-hmm. And there's another one. I think it's out now or coming out in the next few months. So nice. If you're not and into, beautiful cover art. Yes. Yeah. Like, just stunning. Yeah. All right, going on to The Thing in the Snow, which is the last book that I finished, mm-hmm. which is my most recent read by Sean Adams. Um, it is a fiction. It's quite. It's actually a fairly short one. Really different kind of cover, but I really like it. It's very, like, graphically simple. Mm-hmm. Um, so here we go. It is described as a thought-provoking and wryly funny novel, equal part satire and psychological thriller. That holds a funhouse mirror to the isolated workplace and an age of endless distraction. Okay. So this is a like a horror thriller type thing you could totally do, Nicole. <laughs> um, I read this one on Cloud Library, and actually I also read um, How to Keep House While Drowning on Cloud Library. Okay, good to know. So, at the far reaches of the world, the Northern Institute sits in a vast expanse of ice and snow. Once a thriving research facility, its operations were abruptly shut down after an unspecified incident. And its research teams promptly evacuated. Now it's home to a team of three caretakers, Gibbs, Klein, and their supervisor, Hart, and a single remaining researcher named Gilroy, who is feverishly studying the sensation of coldness. Mm. Their objective is simple. Occupy the space, complete their weekly tasks, and keep the building in working order in case research ever resumes. Also, never touch the thermostat. Also, never, ever go outside okay the thermostat has actually been set to be the coolest it can be while still being tolerable oh yeah it's weird the work isn't thrilling test every door for excessive creaking sit on every chair to ensure its structural integrity but for Hart, it's the opportunity of a lifetime a chance to hone his leadership skills and become the beacon of efficiency he always knew he could be (laughs) there's just one obstacle standing in his way a mysterious object that has appeared out in the snow Gibbs and Klein are mesmerized. They can't discern its exact shape and color, nor if it's moving or fixed in place. But it is there, isn't it? Whatever it might be, Hart thinks the thing in the snow is an unwelcome distraction and probably a huge waste of time. Though come to think of it, time itself has been a bit wonky lately. Weekends pass in a blur, and he can hardly tell day from night. Gravity seems less than reliable. The lights have been flickering weirdly, and he feels an odd thrumming sensation in his beard. Gibbs might be plotting to unseat him as supervisor. And Gilroy, what is he really doing anyway? Perplexed and isolated, but most certainly not alone, Hart wrestles for control of his own psyche as the thing in the snow beguiles his team, upends their work, and challenges their every notion of what is normal. And, like, their only communication with the outside world is once a week. They're, like, I think they're rations. And they're work for the next week is put in a um, box, box, whatever, on the roof. It's the only time he goes outside is to go and retrieve it. The helicopter drops it, and he's not allowed to be out there when the helicopter is there. Hmm. And then he has to put his report in every week. 
It sounds like they're the ones being experimented. It's on. a very like it's a strangely I call it a mix of compelling and boring. Oh, interesting. Because their days are so tedious and repetitive. Yeah. But there's this like what's happening with the thing in the snow, what's going on in their interpersonal dynamics. I really enjoyed it. That sounds cool. Huh. That does sound like the kind of horror I could read. <laughs> I will admit that. Uh, this next one is literally on my desk. Not my desk, my dresser right now at home. And I'm, I've only heard good things. Uh, this is called Tress of the Emerald Sea. Now, we don't normally try and recommend huge authors, but Brandon Sanderson wrote this one. And uh, Howard Lyon illustrated it. But I don't think, I don't think every copy is illustrated. Hmm. Um, this is a standalone, but it is part of his bigger universe. Um, for those of you that don't know, Brandon Sanderson is well known for writing thick fantasy books. Like Doorstoppers. Yeah, like when we're talking about the the previous book I wrecked, that to me is accessible. Brandon Sanderson, because he has so many books and I know that they're bricks. I am so intimidated. So to see a one-off is less intimidating. His YA stuff is a bit shorter. Mm -hmm. He does have some YA. Yeah. Um, also, he I find him quite good on audio. I've only heard good things. I guess. But this is your entry point. Yes. This is my first one I'm going with. So uh, the, only, uh, the only life Tress has known on her island home is an emerald, in an emerald green ocean has been a simple one with the simple pleasures of collecting cups brought by sailors from faraway lands and listening to stories told by her friend Charlie. But when his father takes him on a voyage to find a bride and disaster strikes, Tress must stow away on a, on a ship and seek the sorceress of the deadly midnight sea. Amid the spore, uh, spore oceans where pirates abound, can Tress leave her simple life behind and make her own place sailing a sea where a single drop of water can mean instant death? Oof. Yeah. So it also says, um, for everybody who loved the Princess Bride. Interesting. Yeah. So it sounds very, it sounds like it's a simple premise, but it'll have a lot of cool characters. Some nice layers and depth. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very interested in reading this one. So potentially the next time we chat, I'll have an update. About Excellent. Yeah, because this is our last episode for the season. season. So summer is coming and we will be having new episodes in, I think our first one is September. I'll have to check. Um, I wrote it down. Excellent. We'll plan yeah. it out. Yeah. So that being said, do you have anything to add before we wrap up? Just enjoy your summer reading. Enjoy. All right, then. That being said, make sure to like, comment, subscribe, do all that fun stuff. We're at TVAPL across the board. Um, check our show notes at www.tvhtelloffshop.com. And uh, we will see you all in two months instead of two weeks. Bye. Bye.